0: 1 Peter chapter 2, Uh, I'll read verses 4 to 12 and then I'll uh, pray again. Peter writes, 1 Peter 2 verse 4, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifice. Sorry, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of your flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. (coughs) Let's pray. Lord God, we we do echo the words of that song that we long for the day when uh, your family will unite, Uh, the day when, when, uh, as we've been uh, hearing about this last month or so, we will gather once and for all. Uh, Lord, we are gathered now, but uh, as yet we don't see the fullness of the gathering that you have uh, brought uh, brought about in the world. <clears throat> uh, and Lord, we do long for the day when we will see that fully. <clears throat> uh, Lord, but as we uh, live in this time, as we await that day, Lord, we pray that you would Equip us and help us to live as your church, uh, to live as strangers and exiles in this world. And that we would do that to your glory and fulfill our mission that you have given us in this age. In Christ's name, Amen. Well, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, um, you might uh, recognize this book and you might know that we've been going through it. Uh, gathered together by Carl Zienich, the beauty of living as God's church. And we've been looking at over the last several weeks, what does it mean to be the church? Uh, As elders this last week, we uh, read a chapter in a book by Craig Hamilton called Wisdom in Leadership. And this chapter this week, one of them was on the importance of thinking about and talking about why we do things. Uh, The book was arguing we... Uh, It's important that we think about why we do things so that we don't fall into a trap of just doing things for no reason or doing things because we've always done them. Uh, And then once we have that clear idea, it's important to talk about them as well so that we can all be motivated uh, by the same goals and principles together. And so that's one of the reasons why we've been going through this book on the church, why we've been thinking about why the church exists why we do church, what the purpose and the goal and the meaning and the nature of the church is. <clears throat> what does the Bible have to say about that? One of the things uh, uh, that we have read in that passage from First Peter this morning uh, talks a whole lot about the nature and the purpose of the church. It's a glorious description of the church, what God has made the church to be, why he made it, how he made it, and what we are as a people. Peter talks about how the church is like a house, a temple built around Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, and we each individually are stones that have been built into Christ Jesus, into this house made one in in the the house and the temple of God. Uh, Jesus is the cornerstone who was rejected by men, but who is central to God's plan. And we ourselves, like Jesus, are honoured in the way that we are built into God's temple. We are joined together by God as a place where he will be worshipped as he ought. Uh, Indeed, we function, uh, Peter says, we double as the priests who offer the sacrifices in that house. Obviously, Jesus offered the once for all sacrifice for sins, uh, but we bring worship to God in the way that we conduct ourselves in 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 God's house. Uh, We are a nation of priests, Peter says, picking up on the Old Testament language that we read from Deuteronomy this morning. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so this is what the church is the people of God joined into Christ together with the faithful Israelites of the Old Testament era. A unity where God is glorified through our words and actions and indeed the very fact that we are saved and brought together. All of this, Peter says, is entirely due to the sovereign, amazing, gracious work of God that we who were a not people are now God's people. We who were so far from and devoid of mercy are now the ones on whom God has showered his mercy and grace forever. Now, as I said, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, hopefully that will feel a bit like a recap. Uh, Our focus this morning isn't so much on the gathering of God's people as it is the scattering of the church. But the gathering of the church is is fundamental to everything that we're going to be talking about this morning. The church is not scattered by nature but by necessity. We We were once scattered by nature, spiritually scattered that is, from God and from each other. But not anymore. We are gathered. That is the nature of the church. And yet, for most of our daily lives, we are scattered in a physical sense, right? We go out. We don't gather like this all the time. We go out into the world, into our daily lives, into our homes and workplaces and things. We are scattered physically, temporarily, And for a purpose. We're scattered so that we can fulfill the mission and mandate of the church. Uh, As we go through this morning, we're going to look at five biblical images that will help us to understand that. And we've already seen the first one in in those verses, the way that we are gathered as a temple and a people Um, So we're going to look at four more biblical images that help us understand the scattering of the church. Uh, Looking at verses, uh, as we uh, we go through those, um, just a quick note, I'm going to be referencing a number of different passages which are in your bulletin there. Uh, If you are quick with your Bible, you might want to flick around and follow along, Uh, but if you're not that... If you're not confident or quick, then um, just listen along and maybe look them up later if you like. Uh, but as we go into the, uh, the first major point this morning, uh, that we are scattered as foreigners and exiles, please keep, your, uh, please keep your Bibles open to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at what it means to be scattered as foreigners and exiles. Uh, Many of you will know that I grew up in Melbourne. Uh, For a lot of my childhood, we lived in an area that had a high proportion of immigrants. Uh, Around two-thirds of the people in the suburb where I grew up were born overseas. 90% had parents born overseas. Uh, And a significant number of the people I grew up around came to Australia as refugees fleeing persecution or war, unlikely to ever be able to return to the place where they or their parents were born. Now, as welcoming and pluralistic as Australia is, refugees face enormous challenges in building a life here. It's not exactly something I can speak to personally, but I have heard and seen, and maybe you have too, the sorts of challenges that these people face. Challenges of starting with very little, struggling to learn the culture and language. They have difficulty finding a job. They, uh, many of them have lost people or left behind people, uh, loved ones who they had to leave behind that they remember and hope are safe. Uh, they face a tension between maintaining old customs and connections and con- and assimilating to the culture around them. Uh, the humiliation of accepting jobs and homes and wages far below the state their station um, simply because they don't know the culture or the language to be able to do what they have the skills for. Uh, and a lot of the time they also face racial abuse as well. Plenty of Peter's readers would have known those sorts of experiences firsthand. But like most of us, I think, most of Peter's readers would probably have grown up in the culture in which they lived or at least moved there of their own free choice. But Peter still calls them and us foreigners, sojourners, strangers, aliens, exiles. We are far from home and we can't go home in this life. Strangers, aliens, foreigners who live far away from our heavenly home, a people in exile, as it were. Uh, You notice how Peter describes the daily pressures that we face. We live in a constant threat of danger, Peter says in verse 11. Uh, The passions of the flesh wage war against your soul. Uh, Verse 12, he says, we live among the Gentiles or the pagans, if you're reading the NIV. We face hostility, uh, verse 12, as the people around us speak against us as evildoers. This is what it means to live as a Christian in the world. This is what it means to be a scattered church, scattered as foreigners and exiles in a hostile world. Uh, Stephen McAlpine is a pastor in Perth and he talks about how Christianity is increasingly uh, finding itself playing an away game. Uh, Imagine you're playing a footy match, uh, especially one with a strong rivalry. Uh, You might think about playing uh, for Mafra against Sale. Uh, If the game is here in Mafra, you know the crowd will be behind you. Not even just the crowd, like you you might go down Johnson Street and see the, the Mafra red and black in the windows. At the game, obviously the majority of the crowd will be cheering for you. They'll be cheering your goals and as you look around, the signs and the club rooms will be decked out in Mafra colours. But all that will be different if you play an away game. You better lower your head and cover your eyes as you scamper between your car and the locker room. If you score a goal, the crowd might boo you. And you can bet that as you walk down Main Street, there won't be any Mafra Redden flags hanging. Living as a foreigner in, and an in exile is like playing an away game. Until a few decades ago, maybe it seemed like we were playing a home game, uh, or at least maybe playing on neutral territory. But as I said, Stephen McAlpine points out, we are increasingly playing away from home. The crowd is riled up, and they're not on our side. They'll cheer the goals against us, they'll boo our goals or even any of the umpire's decisions that seem to go our way. But you know what, friends? Christianity has always played a better away game than it has at home. Remember what Jesus said, Take heart, I have overcome the world. The church primarily fulfills its mandate when its individual members are scattered in a hostile world. That's the way God designed it. And so in order for us to fulfill our mission as a church, each of us individually needs to accept our status as foreigners and exiles in a hostile world. And in that context find ways to extend god's offer of forgiveness which leads us to our second point the second way that we are scattered as mediators and ambassadors Uh, this comes uh, primarily from 2 corinthians chapter 5 again if you're quick with your fingers you might want to turn there Uh, otherwise i'll read the relevant verses Uh, in 2 Corinthians, in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul was appealing to the Corinthian church after they'd become deeply entangled with, with heretical false apostles. And so in uh, chapter 5, verse 8, Paul wrote to them, God reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Uh, much like in our day, ambassadors in Paul's day were people who had been given the unique authority to speak on behalf of their ruler. They would go then from their ruler to the ruler of another country to speak and negotiate on behalf of the ruler who sent them. In Paul's day and ours, one of the primary roles of ambassadors was to mediate peace between two hostile powers. They would extend their ruler's offer of peace, negotiate the terms of peace in order to prevent or end hostilities between their nation and the one to which they were an envoy. And that, Paul says, is exactly how he understands his ministry, according to these verses in 2 Corinthians. God has opened the way for forgiveness. He has forged a path to peace. God, uh, as he writes in verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now is the day of, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. This is the good news of reconciliation, the good news of peace with God. Uh, And so, as Paul writes, in living out this role of ambassador, he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And in, in the same way, we are scattered as mediators, ambassadors for Christ too. Like Paul, we, too, are sent into a hostile world, a world in mortal rebellion against its creator, at war with its rightful king, Jesus. We are sent out as ambassadors to extend God's offer of forgiveness, to present his terms of peace. We are sent to tell God's enemies on his behalf that he will freely forgive all those who choose to submit to him in this life. We are called to warn all those who live in rebellion against Jesus that the time of his patience will one day end, that he will one day put down all rebellion against him, and we are to tell them in Jesus' name and with his authority that if they submit to him, they will instantly, freely be forgiven and welcomed into peaceful, blessed fellowship in his kingdom. We are ambassadors for Christ, taking the gospel into every area of society. And for that reason, we are scattered in, among this hostile world. Carl Dienick wrote in the Gathered Together book, he said, By being scattered throughout the world, God's people take the gospel to schools, building sites, sports clubs, community bands, office buildings, shopping centres, skate parks, jails, craft groups, community gardens, other towns, other states, and other countries. End quote. If you are a student in a school, you are Christ's ambassador taking the gospel to your school if you are a member of a community group you are christ's ambassador to that group if you are a worker in a hospital or a factory or a shopping center or a building site or wherever you may work you are christ's ambassador to your workplace God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The third point this morning... Uh, We're going to, it goes hand in hand with that one. Uh, And it's the, we're going to move from the good news to good works. Uh, This verse comes from uh, Matthew chapter 5, the famous verses from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus uh, speaking about us scattered as salt and light. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. <clears throat> in verse 16 there, Jesus gives the, uh, the explanation of what he's talking about in these verses. It is doing our good works. Uh, salt in Jesus' day was primarily used as a preservative. It's incredibly good at that. It uh, prevents a lot of bacteria that would cause food spoilage uh, or food poisoning. It prevents them from growing. And, so, and in the same way, Christians' good works prevent the sorts of decay that uh, godlessness would wreak in, uh, in the culture around us. Uh, likewise, Jesus talks about light. Good works being like light, showing the glory of God in the way that we act. We show the goodness of God in the way, in the good works that we do. We show the love of God in the love that we perform. But like salt and light, it is useless if these things are kept in a uh, a small huddle. What good is a salt for your food if you keep it in your salt shaker? Unless you sprinkle it around on your food. Uh, what good is light, Jesus says, if you keep it under a bowl? The point of light is so that you can put it in a prominent place and so that it will light, give, shine light on the whole room. In the same way then, we are scattered throughout the world to do good works, to show God's glory in the works that we do, and to make the world a better place. I want to read a quote from Tim Keller's book, uh, uh, his book on work every good endeavour. Um, And this is talking about work, uh, but it might just as easily be applied to our retirement or our leisure or anything else that we might do in our daily lives. Uh, Keller writes, Christians should be aware of this this revolutionary understanding of the purpose of their work in the world. We are not to choose jobs or conduct our work to fulfill ourselves and accrue power, for being called by God to do something is empowering enough. We are to see work as a way of service to God and to our neighbour. And so we should both choose and conduct our work in accordance with that purpose. The question regarding our choice of work is no longer what will make me the most money and give me the most status. The question must now be, How, with my existing skills and opportunities, can I be of greatest service to other people, knowing what I do of God's will and human need? (laughs) This is a mindset that we all need to take with us into our work, into our hobbies, into our housework, our leisure, our retirement. Whatever God has called you to do with your time, whatever work he has given you, Whatever he has put you in to work or to play in, God has put you there to do good deeds and service to your neighbor. And so take that opportunity to do those acts of love and service to the glory of God. Uh, the final image I want to speak today about is the church scattered as hands and feet. Uh, several times in scripture, the, Bible, the, sorry, the church is described as a body, the body of Christ, and we are each members of it with various abilities and roles. I find this image incredibly profound. Uh, this is the image, I guess, where unity and diversity meet. Where independence meets interdependence. You can't if you're if we're all members of separate members of a body, you can't have independence and not dependence, or vice versa. Hands and feet work independently and yet they cannot work without all the rest of the body. Uh, I often think about this when I'm driving a manual car. Uh, When I'm changing gears or well, when you're when you're changing gears, you see all different body parts working together to do one task. Your left arm works the gear shift. Your right arm works the steering. Your left foot works the clutch, and your right foot works the the brakes and the accelerator. Your eyes watching the road. Your mouth talking about something completely and utterly unrelated to the person talking next to you. <laughs> so many things happening independently yet all working together in this one task of driving a car. That's what the body of Christ is like when I say uh, we are scattered as hands and feet. We are independent and yet united. We are interdependent and yet scattered across all different jobs and homes and communities and ministry areas. Uh, We see this especially uh, in the first half of Ephesians chapter 4. This will be our final passage for today. Uh, There's a lot in this passage that I'm going to completely ignore. Uh, If you want more detail on this passage, go back to listen to our sermon on Ephesians chapter 4. You'll find it on our website. Uh, But the key point in this passage is the unity of the body of Christ, the church, and how the church, how the body is built up. Uh, Paul says in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope and so on. Uh, and yet in verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. <clears throat> so Paul says we are all united and yet we are all, in, we are all distinctly gifted. Uh, Paul goes on in verse 11. He, that is Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So the particular offices that Christ has placed in the church are not meant to do the work of ministry alone, as if no one else could do it. We're here to equip everyone else to do the ministry that will build up the body. Just in case you missed it, Paul reiterates the point in verse 16. Uh, if we skip over the, the parenthetical side remarks, the, the main sentence goes this way. Verse 16, from Christ, the whole body makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul says the whole body makes the body grow. It builds itself up in love when each part is working properly. And I don't think that Paul just means that we, the body builds itself up on Sunday morning. Because as we've seen this morning, so much of the building of the church happens as we share the gospel and make disciples in our everyday lives. Each and every Christian has been uniquely and thoroughly gifted To live as mediators and ambassadors and salt and light in the place where God has put them. And this is what it means to be scattered as hands and feet. And this is really important when we're so used to thinking about the church as some, I guess, kind of ethereal, separate body. It's in the legal sense an incorporated body separated from its members is often the way we think about this. Not consciously, of course, but in the way that we talk about the ministries of the church, how we make a clear distinction between the official ministries of Mafra Community Church and the ministry that individual Christians get up to in their own time. We're not members of a club, in a sense. We're members of a body, united, and when we go out... We remain the church. When we go home, the church doesn't stay here. It doesn't become this sort of some nebulous or ethereal conceptual thing that only exists theoretically until we come back here. When we go home, we remain the church. And when we go out into the world to do good works of service and spread the good news of God's forgiveness, we are the scattered church. Doing gospel ministry, and fulfilling the mission of the church in the world. This is what it means to be scattered, as that. This is what it means to be the church scattered, scattered as hands and feet. Uh, I want to close with one last quote. Uh, most of you, I'm sure, will have heard of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he was a, a a pastor in 19th century London. Uh, and I was reading an article the other day entitled, How Spurgeon Got His Congregation. as by Jeff Chang, a historian who has done a lot of study on uh, Spurgeon's ministry. Uh, and Chang writes, As gifted as Spurgeon was, it would be wrong to think that the thousands who joined his church were all converted through his evangelistic preaching. Instead, Spurgeon gave credit to his congregation. Uh, He once said at at a gathering of Scottish ministers, "'Someone asked me how I got my congregation. "'I never got it at all. "'I did not think of my business to do so, "'but only to preach the gospel. "'Why my congregation got my congregation?' Chang continues, the testimony books at Spurgeon's church confirm his words. Uh, In those documents we read his elders' reports of thousands of conversion testimonies describing the ministry of ordinary members to bring the lost around them to faith. The article goes on to describe how people came to faith through the personal evangelism of members of the church, at work and at home, through people inviting those around them to come and hear the gospel, through the chats that came up after the sermon, and through meetings and classes with church leaders. And Chang finishes by saying, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, Spurgeon's Church, grew because of the evangelistic efforts of ordinary church members. This is the vision of Ephesians 4, where pastors are to equip the saints for the work of ministry, verse 12. It was the congregation who got Spurgeon's congregation. Likewise, as we go, scattered into our everyday lives in a hostile world, may we do good works and spread the gospel and fulfil Christ's mission in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you have equipped us For every good work. That you have uh, given gifts to your church. So that your gospel might go out. So that we might do uh, works as we are scattered among our everyday lives. Uh, Lord we pray that your, uh, your plan for the church might be fulfilled. That the mission of the church might be fulfilled. Through us in MAFRA and in the surrounding areas. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.